All right, there is hope on the horizon. That's what we've been celebrating together. We're glad to know that that is true. It's always been true because of Jesus. And so we keep uh, focusing on that hope. Uh, this is part two in a session. If you were uh, missing from last week's part, didn't see it online, weren't uh, here in person, I uh, encourage you to go online and, and uh, if you're interested, maybe even after today, uh, fill in some of the historical detail. We looked at chapter 7 of Isaiah uh, last week. We're looking at chapter 8 of Isaiah today, and we'll be looking at chapter 9, and all of these uh, related to the fulfillment of Jesus in the prophecy that's found in Isaiah. And there's actually uh, several prophecies that we're looking at and tying it all to the big prophecy about a virgin who's giving birth to a child. And so that's what we've been looking at together. Hope on the horizon. Today specifically, the title is The Light Has a Name, or that hope that we're talking about, this light of hope has a name. I want to begin with just a, a quote that uh, will get us thinking. In dark times, doubt arrives uninvited. Isn't that so true? When things are really, really dark, doubt arrives uninvited. We begin to think things like, is God really good? This doesn't seem good at all. Uh, can God really be trusted? I don't know. And those kinds of doubts creep in. Now, I don't know if you've experienced that, but here's a quote that will help us kind of move from that thought that darkness kind of rattles our faith to another thought. What if our setbacks, can you put that on the screen for me? What if our setbacks were our setups and our pain platforms of grace? Maybe we'd keep our judgments to ourselves with smiles upon our face. Uh, Chloe Lauren Smith was, uh, is a... Uh, spoken word artist that I uh, read this from, and she had a much longer piece that this just grabbed me. What if our setbacks were our setups and our pain platforms of grace? And we are going to discover in Isaiah 7, 8, and 9 that that is the case. The context is all tied together. It's not separate contexts. So we're building off of session last week into chapter 8 this week. And so we we're going to take a look at that. Now, just so that we don't just think of this as history and prophecy that's kind of uh, in our past and not really about us living today, let me just put it this way. Christmas is a hope story, a story about rescue, a great and gaping need answered. So every one of us has this great and gaping need that Jesus is the answer to, and so that's the fulfillment of this key prophecy that was prophesied at 734 B.C., long before the arrival of Jesus, Isaiah 714, that reads this way. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Last week we took a look at how there was a, a, a kind of an understanding. This wasn't a meaningless prophecy back in 734 BC. There was an understanding that they could kind of grip a hold of based on the context. And yet that was a short term understanding. The long term is more specific, more literal 
in its interpretation, as is the case so frequently with prophecy. You've got kind of this figurative understanding in the history in which it was stated in a more literal fulfillment later that takes place, and that was the case here. And so here's where we're going with this. If you have questioned hope, if you haven't felt it, or if you haven't even searched for it, this message is for you. Now, that should cover all of us, <laughs> okay? If you have questioned hope, if you haven't felt it, or if you haven't even searched for it, this message is for you. Because even when you can't, hope hopes for you. Hope always exists. Why? Because hope has a name. Jesus. Now, the reason I can say this so confidently is because the writers in the Bible refer to him with such concrete terms. Emmanuel, God with us. That's a name that is hope-filled, and Jesus is the one that takes on that name. In Hebrews chapter 6, we discover that this anchor of hope is Jesus himself, who is set in the heavens for us, and we got a line tied to him directly, that hope is a person, and hope has done some things to reach out to us. And so, hope on the horizon, we're not just talking about, we gotta do this, we gotta do this, make sure we do this so we have a little bit of hope and it's this thought concept it's a person and he's actually reaching toward us and that's very helpful for us to get a hold of before we move forward let me just give you some uh, quick review from last week 734 BC, Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah is told by God to confront the king of Judah. At this time, Judah has separated off from the rest of Israel, and so there's two kingdoms, and it's several centuries into this divided kingdom, and this divided kingdom now is opposed to each other. Israel is, I need to do it this way, Israel has done an alliance with Syria up to the northeast, directly next to Israel, that's going to come against King Ahaz, and the reason why is because there's a big bully in town, Assyria, and Assyria is bearing down on everybody in the neighborhood, and these two decide, okay, we got to take care of Judah, because Judah won't go in alliance with us, and we're coming against him, and so King Ahaz is frightened to death of that situation, and he doesn't have the hope that we all think of as hope. In fact, the reason that he is not filled with hope, is he's already abandoned the light and chosen darkness. And so has Israel. There's this degradation of faith that's been a total abandonment of truth and people beginning to grab a hold of false gods, false ideas, false hopes, uh, gods that will provide pleasure and all the, all the things that you want and that's the kind of thing that the nations have been sliding into. And King Ahaz is been sliding in this direction as well. So when the prophet of God, the one true God, confronts him and offers him the moon, so to speak, say any sign, ask for any sign, Ahaz refuses because he has already got a plan of his own. And he's not going to enter into an alliance with the two little kingdoms bearing down on him. He's already got a plan to enter into an alliance with Assyria, the big bully. And you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 16. I don't have that anywhere else. You want to write it down? 2 Kings chapter 16. He's got this plan to enter into an alliance with them. But it backfires on him, and that's what chapter 8 is rolling into. Before it happens, Isaiah says, fine. You're choosing the direction you're choosing. Here's how it's going to go down. 
And so let's just begin with applying all of that history and what was learned in history by the people of God and we who are also the remnant of God, the remnant, faithful remnant. That means when all the people about us who claim to be one nation under God are failing in their faith and choosing their own way and their own plan, there's still a faithful remnant and that was the message of chapter 7 that daughter Zion is going to give birth to a child that proves that God is still with us. That's how they took it, but it's a literal fulfillment of an actual virgin-born child later that's going to prove that God is with us because he himself is God and he's with us. So there's two different interpretations, uh, short-term, long-term, with the impact that we've got to choose what we're going to trust. So point number one is for us as well, Trusting God requires a choice. Trusting God requires a choice. Now, a lot of times people hear a phrase like this, and where they go with it is that they immediately think, yeah, I chose to trust God when I was nine years old, and then I was baptized, and I said yes to God, and uh, he's faithful to me, and I'm, I'm confident that I'm forgiven because I was baptized, all my sins were washed away, and I'm going to heaven. And that may be true, and yet trusting God requires a choice again and again and again and again every day. Or it's not really trusting God. It's putting a marker in your history, in your past, and relying on something that took place a long time ago, and you could be totally like the practical atheists of King Ahaz's day, choosing false gods and false hopes and not following their God, but in name claiming to be the people of God. So you've got this larger circle of those claiming to be under the name of God uh, that are actually outside of faith, not trusting God, trusting in their own plan, trusting in their own way, trusting in the ways of the culture in which they live, and not following the ways of God. Out of this, God is going to birth a remnant faithful who are going to learn to trust in the middle of darkness, who are going to learn to trust him day in and day out when all the darkness around them is causing others to doubt that he even exists, that he's even good, that he can be trusted. And they choose to trust him anyway, and they are called the faithful remnant. What's really fascinating about chapter uh, 7 and 8 is that the answer to all the disasters about them with the power structures of the political realm coming against them, the answer God provides comes through children. You have uh, Sheer Jashub, uh, uh, Isaiah's son. God says, go take Sheer Jashub with you, which means the remnant will return. And so it's like the standing sign with Isaiah saying, I'm going to bring a remnant to return. Right in the middle of all of this, there's going to be this core remnant that remains faithful to me or returns to me and becomes the remnant. When I was reading through Isaiah, and it's really, Isaiah's tough, and I've just kind of lost here and there, and the more I read, the more I realized, wait, I was off of my thinking. I think the remnant doesn't just mean that they're going to be pulled off into exile, then return, that's the returning remnant. No, this is, they're going to return to God even before they're exiled. The exile's years later for Judah. They're going to 
right in the middle of all this darkness, there's going to be a core of believers that choose to trust. And they're going to be prepared by their choice of trusting in the words that Isaiah the prophet brings them. They're going to be prepared by that trust to be able to withstand a darkness that gets darker and darker and darker in their days ahead. And they're able to trust God anyway. This is the faithful remnant returns. Okay? Isaiah 7, 9 reads this way. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith again and again and again, you're going to fall. Keep looking to God and your trust is the answer. I want to read a bigger quote. and I'm not going to read it from my Bible. I'm going to hold this up just to make sure you understand what I'm talking about in the quote. The quote reads this way. We are fortunate. Oh, how fortunate we are to have a running story in this Bible a running story of God's track record to ponder and to investigate. It bolsters our faith. It strengthens our resolve. It helps us to stand firm and not fall. Then God invites us into a covenant relationship to experience his faithfulness for ourselves. This is just amazing to me. I don't know what your view of God is, but he's not an abstract force. He's not an abstract power. He's a very personal God. He didn't reveal himself in abstract terms. He revealed himself in very personal terms in relationship interchanges is how he revealed himself. And we have this track record that shows us how he is so personal towards us and inviting us into a covenant with himself. Even still, like in all relationships, our trust will be tested. So, if you've been in a covenant relationship, you know that your trust and your covenant relationship goes through tests and difficulty. Will you remain faithful? Will you remain faithful? We are in a covenant relationship with our God and we are going to be tested and the question is, will we remain faithful? And the answer from God's perspective, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. I've given you everything you need to have all that you need to trust me and stand firm and to hang on to hope with this firm grip that's going to just shine in the middle of whatever darkness you face. But in the darkest of tests, God promises Emmanuel, God with us, for the faithful remnant who choose to trust him. So that's chapter 7. No matter how dark it's going to get, I'm going to give you a sign. In fact, God's going to unroll some things and we're going to reveal the scroll sort of more and more and more and go, whoa, this prepares the people so well for what's about to come and we want to see how that rolls out. So at the beginning of chapter 8, we're introduced to another child and the child's name is this. Don't name your kid this. Man, I'd hate that. Meher Shalal Hashbaz. I mean, what do you call him? May? I mean, <laughs> do you say this? You know, my, my parents used to say the first, middle, and last name when I was in trouble. Now you got a first, middle, and middle, and last first name. Wow, it's a really, really long name. But what this name means is quick to plunder, swift to spoil, and the way that Isaiah 8, 1 through 2 rolls out is that Isaiah is told by God, I want you to get some witnesses 
key judicial witnesses, key leaders of the community, and witness this. I want you to write this down on a piece of paper. Write, Meher Shalal Hashbaz on a piece of paper. Have them witness it, almost like get it notarized and official, and I think maybe it was done in public so that there'd be no mistake about it. And then we read about what this is all about after Isaiah has another child and names the child this. So this is before he has the child that this is written down in front of witnesses. Then he has a child and then he's going to name the child this. And then we read in Isaiah 8, 4, for before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Now, the reason why it's so important that all of this was public and stated beforehand is that when this happens, there's going to be two groups of people. One group of people will be the faithful remnant who trust that this was revealed by God ahead of time and this is at the hand of God. Another group of people that says, whoa, our king was a genius. He set up with his plan. He went with the strong bully and formed an alliance with them. And the strong bully just wiped out the other two allied bullies that came against us. And so when that takes place, just remember the name of the child. I said it in advance. This was God's doing, not your king's plan, according to 2 Kings 16. Because the king, when he went and did this, he wanted this plan to stop right there. And then as we keep reading Isaiah 8, it doesn't stop right there. It backfires in the face of King Ahaz and gets really, really bad, just as predicted by Isaiah as we keep reading. So point number two, let's review. Trusting God requires a choice. And number two, choose Emmanuel. You have a choice. Are you going to choose the God who is with us or are you going to choose your own plan? Are you going to choose to live with God or are you going to choose to live with your own plan, which is the apart from God life? Will you continue to go the way of darkness and trusting the culture and how the culture defines what a good life is? Or will you go against the stream of culture and stand firm in your faith and trust that God says this is how you should live and it's outside of this cultural norm and you are going to feel the rub of that? Who will you choose? God with us or I'm not walking with God? And it's that stark that we have chapter 7 meeting up with chapter 8. But now what Isaiah does is unrolls enough of what's going to happen that he's equipping the remnant before it happens. Maybe he's even awakening a remnant out of a totally compromised nation. He's awakening faith. Well, remember Isaiah? Isaiah said it was going to be like this. And so what was it that Isaiah said it was going to be like? We continue in chapter 8, and here's what we read. We're going to read 5 through 10. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh. Now, there's, this is the pool of Siloam is fed by this uh, spring in Jerusalem. Okay, we read about it in the New Testament. And it's very gentle and it's very gentle flowing. So you rejected the way of God in Jerusalem, which is very peaceable. Instead, King Ahaz have chosen something else that's going to be in contrast and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Ramaliah. That's the, the two that were destroyed by Assyria. You're rejoicing over that. 
Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. So you refuse to accept the calm, peaceable deliverance from God. Instead, you want to harness the Euphrates in flood stage. And the Euphrates in flood stage cannot be held back according to your plans. It's going to overarch and overtake up to your necks. And we keep reading. It will flow, overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah. You want to hold it back just so it's Israel and Syria is going to be overtaken and they're going to be dominated and the victory was because you formed the alliance? Woo, no. It's going to come against you. Swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck, its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. Emmanuel. This is going to prove that God is with us because you think the plan that your king was a genius to come up with to save you from the little bullies. You think that he had a good plan. No, God, Emmanuel, is going to prove that he's with us by another plan when Assyria comes against you. Now, I'm just going to throw this in for later. We don't have time for it today. Assyria does come against them. Isaiah writes all about it later on in Isaiah 36. And Emmanuel, God with us, rescues them miraculously because by then the faithful remnant trust God. And it's a great story of the trust of God. But right now he's developing that trust. I am so excited about a God that loves us so much that when we are blowing it left and right, he is reaching to us. And isn't that the story of Jesus? All of the nation is in darkness. Everything's under the domination of Rome at this point. And God sends his son and reaches out to save not only Israel, but all of the faithful remnant who will trust Emmanuel, God, with us. It's not up to us how great we are in our trust. God reaches through our lack of trust and builds faith into us through Emmanuel. And he just celebrates what Emmanuel's going to do during this mess where the flood goes up to the neck of Judah. In fact, he's so confident, he continues with this challenge as we keep reading. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. You can't stand a chance against Emmanuel. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy. That might have been a typo when I copied stuff together. I would have to look to make sure. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand. For God is with us. So that's the interpretation of the name Emmanuel. You got Emmanuel with its Name and its interpretation in this declaration that bolsters up and strengthens the faithful remnant, which are few in comparison to the compromised, so-called people of God. Is this boring history or is this like really exhilarating? This is exhilarating to me. And so I just want to help you feel this and sense that God is in charge of history. He's teaching us what we can learn from history, his track record to trust him, trust him, trust him. So here's point number three. Trusting God requires a choice. Choose Emmanuel. Point number three, choose today whom or what you will 
fear. I could spend multiple messages, well, realistically, multiple months of messages on how we're to fear God and the fear of God will blast away any other fear. And we'll fear it in a way that's so exhilarating, we just love it. <laughs> Down the roller coaster! I'm hanging on! Wonderful fear! God is so great! Choose today whom or what you will fear. It'll take care of every other fear. Here's what we read in Isaiah 8, starting at verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. I can't help but think this is so applicable for today. It's like conspiracy is just like proliferating like crazy because fear feeds conspiracy. You, you throw something in front of us and our fears just go, whoa, this is crazy. I think this is true. And it's so not true. It's so illogical. And yet we latch onto it because we're afraid of it. And the fear will feed that conspiracy. Well, what's interesting is there's this conspiracy that King Ahaz planned with the, against the two kingdoms. And then there's the conspiracy of the big bully that says, fine, I'll take all your plunder. I'll take all your treasures of Jerusalem. That's not all I'll take because I'm not going to stop with you. I'm taking over you. And that's how the rest of this goes down, but God stops it because God is the one to be feared. All this power and political power and intrigue and all this stuff is nothing standing against God. Choose whom you will fear and choose what you will fear. If you choose to fear the Lord and the Lord above all other fears, all the rest of the fears go As you fear God and align with Him, you have now a fear that is without fear. It's an awe and it's awesome. We continue. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And there is still, even in the Old Testament and the New, there's a fear and a trembling before God that we're not supposed to just let go of and say, you know, it's all wonderful. Every time we come against a temptation, we need to have the fear and trembling that I don't take this wrong path, that I don't destroy myself on this wrong path. There's a fear and trembling as we do our part to fulfill our faithfulness to our God in covenant. If we do not fear him, we just buddy-buddy up with him. It doesn't matter what we do. He's just going to get us all in. Everything is great. There's no fear of God. Without the fear of God, right and wrong become no big deal. You just choose what you want, and God's going to forgive you and get you to heaven. And that, my friends, is the biggest, boldest lie of the enemy. And we just need to make sure that we fear him above all else. Isaiah 8, 17 reads, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. 
when it's dark, it feels like he's hiding his face. And he will allow us to be tested. He will allow our faith to be tested. It feels like he's hiding his face. It feels like he's not responding in quick, concrete measures. We fall instead of him quickly picking us up like he used to when we were toddlers in our faith and pick us up and literally walk us where we can't walk ourselves. He lets us fall and lets us get up and lets us continue to walk in him by choices. And we grow stronger and stronger in the faith. And then he'll even let us feel that again where he's not always doing all the work. And are we still going to trust him when there's darkness that we have to live out our life and our light? Hope is a who. Jesus is our hope. What disaster has overtaken you? Walk with Jesus. He is the light. Talk to Jesus. He will give you peace. What darkness hides in your heart? Talk to Jesus about it. Invite him into your life. Confess your darkness. Light displaces darkness. He came to take your darkness away and give you resurrection life. In review, trusting God requires a choice again and again. Choose Emmanuel, God with us. Choose today and again and again whom or what you will fear. There's hope on the horizon. Even as they saw hope in their immediate horizon and Jesus came further down the line in the horizon bringing the greatest of hope, the brightest of light, the amazing turn of events, we now have a running track record where we go, there's always hope on the horizon because hope has a name. And we have the revelation right before us to investigate how it all fits together in a way that's impossible for man to write. This isn't a book, it's a library. It's 66 books that's put together over 1,500 years that cannot be put together by man. And it fits so perfectly together that it's there for us to just have our hope rise and hang on to the Jesus who it is all about. Hope has a name. And so if this is something you'd like to know more about, that's what the... Start with Jesus dialogue is all about. Easy to remember, January 3 at 3, right across the hallway or online. We'll be Zooming the online people right into that room and just talking about Jesus and how he is the hope for our life, the hope for our world, the hope for the faithful remnant, and how we see this all play out even if we work up to Christmas and we see the grand connections with the birth of Jesus. That's what next week will do for us. Hope to see you back then. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Isaiah, for the prophets who lived a very hard life, confronting their worlds that have turned their backs on you. Often, those who had turned their backs on you, turned the back on the prophet. And Lord, we are placed as your spokespeople in a dark world. We turn to you first to fill our lives with hope, to fill our lives with the light that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Pray that you'd fill us all the way up to the brim and bubbling over. That we'd be a people who are the faithful remnant. Strengthened and equipped by all the details of your prophecy and promises that have come true already so that we can trust them. Even for the things that haven't come true yet, we know they're certain because you stated them. A double certainty. You never lie and you have all the power to make it come about. We trust you, we love you, we serve you, we honor you. Allow us to shine at this time in history in a way that you've given us opportunity to like never before, to bring people who are afraid into a relationship of hope and faith and joy and confidence, trusting you and watching you work your good purposes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless. Enjoy your day. See you next week.